This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore, and this is The Breakfast Wrap for Tuesday, June 13th. The weather forecast for today, clouds are going to build up. Chance of showers this afternoon, maybe a thunderstorm. Today's high, 20 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. A full review of Paul Bernardo's prison transfer is underway. Number two, a poll reveals that Bonnie Crombie is the front runner for the provincial liberal leadership. Number three, ubiquitous Toronto mayoral candidate is revealed to have a bit of a dodgy past, allegedly. Number four, contradictory stats paint an uncertain portrait of safety on the TTC. And number five, Miami braces for the first federal indictment of a U.S. president. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. I'm back. My thanks to Jerry Agar for sitting in yesterday. And I'm not one of those people who creeps the person who's sitting in for me. I was on a trip. I hesitate to call it a vacation, although I'm getting way more sympathy than I deserve. Um, I mean, we were introducing an NDP MPP on Friday, uh, and I said, uh, I, I just happened to be doing a bit of a monologue before we got to that story. And I said I was going to Saint-Lazare, Quebec, to see my sister-in-law, but to attend with family the funeral mass of uh, one of my partner's aunts. And Madame Gillino says, I am so sorry for your loss. And I'm like, okay, listen, this is an in-law relationship. And second of all, of all of the members of that very big family, I, you know, not to speak ill of the dead, but we just didn't have that great a relationship. She was a somewhat eccentric lady. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, and I had, you know, this morning I came in and Donnie, who produces for Jerry, said, uh, you know, really sorry about uh, whatever, what, you know, some sort of formal condolences. And I'm like, it's okay. I'm good. I mean, we did the funeral on Saturday and then we went golfing on Sunday and under the pretense that uh, Giselle was a huge golf fan. So we were having the Giselle Memorial Golf outing. Um, so it was a mixed blessing on the weekend, but it's a fantastic family, and we had a wonderful time together. And the Mass itself, which I'll, I'll describe in greater detail later in the show, because I know you want me to start getting into the day's big stories, but it had a funny start because the priest was late. And so somebody came to the uh, lectern and said, sorry, the priest is late. He'll be here shortly. And then we started thinking, what if he never shows up? Like, what happened? Turns out he was at a wedding uh, about 25 kilometers away. So he arrives, comes bursting through the door into the chancel, and he's holding his robes. And as he runs toward the lectern, he's throwing the robes on. Turns out he was quite the character. And... Uh, a fast talker. So mass was done in 40 minutes. Uh, it's 5.11. Okay, so the first story today, as you heard from Ashley Legasic at uh, 5 a.m., is a review is underway into why Paul Bernardo was transferred from maximum security in Ontario to medium security in Quebec. And maybe they're going to find that it all makes sense, that the medium security facility happens to specialize in sexual criminals. But at the same time, I think perhaps we arrive at the conclusion that some prisoners aren't like others. And we have this 
way of, for example, taking somebody like Paul Bernardo, who is going to die in a jail cell. And if he doesn't, then it's one of the greatest scandals in Canadian justice ever. So, but we still go through all of the procedures, like we still hold bail or parole hearings to which the family and its representatives have to attend. And for which there is this possibility, you know, hanging over people's heads that somebody might make a terrible mistake and say, yeah, yeah, let's do it. So the idea of sending him to that prison, La Macasa in Quebec, where they work with sexual offenders, that maybe he'll get the therapy he needs. Who cares if he gets the therapy he needs? He can be in a cell for 23 hours. He can recreate by himself in an enclosed space for one hour, and he can die in that cell. And so the idea that we have to go through some kind of a ritual in pretending that there is a possibility ever that he be released is actually more than a slap in the face of the victim's families. It's, uh, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's foolish and almost fetishistic in terms of following protocols. So I'm glad that that review is going to be done. And who knows, maybe it leads to some sort of a concrete change. He was labeled a dangerous offender. So once you have that labeling, maybe you never get into the pipe that leads to some form of release, even if you're not going to get that release. I find it fascinating this morning that everybody is spinning these stats from the TTC different ways. One headline I'm looking at says, TTC says safety measures working. Okay, but I was watching the local CTV news last night. And they said, well, the rate of uh, reported offenses was down in the month of May compared to January. And then they said, meanwhile, major crime on all transit systems in Toronto was up 24%. Okay, so I guess we're talking about people who were upset about a homeless person sleeping on a bench but then they got punched in the face by some kid who wanted to steal their wallet. I mean, these stats don't add up. John Burnside, who chairs the commission that supervises the TTC, is going to join us on the show this morning. Um, what time is that going to be happening, young Joe Cristiano? That's I'm not that young. 705. Uh, everybody's young to me now. Uh, 7.05, John Burnside is going to be here, and I'm hoping he can unpack these figures because... It just doesn't seem all that equivocal to me. It seems like things are still pretty rough on the TTC. That obviously is going to be one of the things that features on uh, the debate. We had a meeting last night, the first, actually it wasn't the first, but it was the first big one where we sat there and looked at questions and stuff like that. Um, and uh, there was going to be a joint News Talk 1010, CP24 mayoral debate on Thursday at 7 p.m., and I can certainly tell you, based on our schedule over the next couple of days, we're going to be ready. And I have to imagine the candidates are as well. I was watching another debate yesterday. I don't know where it was or what the form. I mean, well, the format, there were six of them. They were sitting in chairs. All of them had head mics, except for Olivia Chow, who had a hand mic. And I don't know if that's because there were some sound issues or if that's because Olivia Chow knows that when you have a hand mic, there is actually, the, it's like everybody thinks you're Celine and you're about to burst into song. There's something, and you're number one when you have a hand mic. All the other people have a head mic, you have a hand mic. Now, again, I have no idea. Maybe the sound was breaking down and so they just handed her a microphone. Or maybe she's that canny. 
Um, but anyway, Thursday night, I think it's going to be a great debate. We're going to be doing it in a format, I can give you the broad strokes, where it's going to move. And there's going to be points where we ask the candidates questions and it's rapid fire. So it's not going to be one of those debates where people people soberly stare into the camera and say, here is why I am the best person to be the mayor of Toronto. You want to do that? Buy time. Um, we're going to be asking the questions. They're going to be giving the answers. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.37 on a Tuesday morning, back after a long weekend. I can report that what a mixed experience I had with VIA. We like taking the train to Montreal because, you know, you sit there and they bring you a glass of wine and you have a meal and you take a nap and you watch some stuff and it's just, it's easy. Except if the train stops about a kilometer away from your final destination and sits there for 90 minutes and you keep thinking, I could walk this. I really could. I brought hand luggage. We're good. Um, but that was the way into Montreal and the way home yesterday was to the minute. And uh, we got back to uh, Union Station. It was uh, fantastic. So as an alternative, friends are always saying, you know, by the time you get to the airport, wait for the go through security, wait for the plane, get on the plane, fly, get off the plane, take a taxi. It's the, about the same length of time. And they're right. But there's also little time at the airport to goof around. So today in Miami, Donald Trump becomes the first president to be uh, arraigned on federal charges. And that's the difference. He's already been arraigned on state charges. He's already actually, his organization has been found guilty on state charges. He has been found by a jury to have sexually assaulted a woman. It's kind of hard. They're like a half a dozen cases, criminal and civil against Donald Trump. I've always thought that the case that he's previously indicted on uh, about, you know, fiddling around with the facts and the numbers in paying off hush money to a sex worker to a porn star, that that was a bit too clever by half. But I have spent an awful lot of time reading up on the indictment in the case where Donald Trump is accused of not only taking the documents he shouldn't have taken, but not taking care of them and then fighting tooth and nail and actually engaging in subterfuge in order to hold on to them. And this time, I think, aside from the jeopardy of what do you do if the former president is actually guilty and is and can you find a jury? Because only one person decides that they love Donald Trump and that jury gets hung. Uh, Joy Malbin talks about some of the action we're expecting today because they are going to have protesters. We're seeing more of a police presence tonight, sniffer dogs and patrols, that sort of thing, because of concerns about growing violence when Donald Trump surrenders here at the federal court. Now, he's encouraging supporters to come here and protest peacefully, but officials are tracking online threats of violence, including a possible gathering of the local Miami chapter of the Proud Boy extremist groups. But unlike when we were in New York for Trump's court appearance in that hush money scheme. There are no steel barricades around. There's just a lot of yellow tape. Still, Miami's police chief is confident they can handle it. 
We likely won't see Trump at all. He'll arrive with Secret Service underground at this court to turn himself in. He'll be processed like any other criminal defendant, fingerprinted, and enter a plea of not guilty. He faces 37 felony counts, including uh, accused of illegally taking classified documents to Mar-a-Lago, national secrets like nuclear programs, defense strategies, that sort of thing. They even accuse him of conspiring with an aide to keep it from investigators. Now, these are serious crimes with some serious jail time if he is found guilty. It's been funny to watch people try to marshal arguments in defense of Donald Trump. There's the whole whataboutism, but what he did does not compare at all to anybody else who has been found in possession of documents, except those who have been previously found guilty and sent to jail. But I think my favorite so far, because sometimes it's kind of like when we talk on our show about a trial that's underway and a lawyer tries to marshal an argument that even the lawyer can't possibly believe in, but they got to do what they can for their client. And you just, I always imagine, because I used to be a courtroom reporter back in the day, the judge with reading glasses on the end of his or her nose, looking at the lawyer and saying, really? But Mitch McConnell said, you know, the documents were safe because they were in a bathroom and bathrooms have locks. Yes, on the inside. <laughs> Interesting report today. From the future of work reporter, I love that there are still these categories for reporters at newspapers that take their their mandate seriously because, you know, other newspapers are shrunk down to pamphlet size. And then a few of the major newspapers have taken a bet that between online and what's left of the print edition, they're going to be the last newspapers standing as news organizations in, in the near future. So Globe and Mail Future of Work reporter Vanmala Subramaniam, uh, Maniam, sorry, I want to give credit where credit is due, writes about the CERB and a new study that finds a significant number of Canadians used the CERB not just to sort of backstop them against the fact that their work had been suspended. They didn't just sit at home and watch Netflix. A significant portion actually went, you know, to online courses or started searching for different jobs, made connections, networked, and they have found better jobs. About half of survey respondents said CERB had helped them re-enter the job market, and 37% said they'd used the benefit to pursue education and training to advance their careers. 41% said they'd ended up in new careers after receiving CERB. 37% said they had improved their standing in existing careers. Now, this asks an awful lot of questions, uh, which I hope eventually will have answers. For example, maybe it it bolsters the idea that the universal guaranteed income might be a good idea. The idea of the universal guaranteed income is not that people are going, because people don't tend to. You know, when it comes to government programs for people in need, it's either people who can't work, you know, people with disabilities, uh, people in situations where it just, they, they can't work. And people always argue, well, if you just give people money, they're just, they're not going to do anything. They get lazy. No, most people want purpose. Most people want work. And so the universal guaranteed income in the limited period of time that the program, the pilot existed, and then Doug Ford kind of peevishly canceled it. And I bet the new Doug Ford probably regrets that. Uh, but in the brief time that it existed, they found that 
people were using universal guaranteed income to upgrade skills, complete university, to engage in more vigorous job searches to find jobs they actually wanted as opposed to jobs that would just pay the bills. So maybe that's an argument in favor of that. Uh, we're just getting ready to do traffic and weather and then hook up with uh, CP24. So not enough time for me to give complete tribute to Treat Williams, but enough time to tell you that he was killed in a motorcycle accident. And you know what? Treat Williams is one of those guys who, I mean, he was A-list talent, but his profile, you're probably going, what was he in? What was he in? Treat Williams, Treat Williams. He's one of those guys, if you saw him, you go, oh, bang, yeah. Um, he was in Everwood, uh, a recurring series, but he was also on Blue Bloods, uh, and he appeared in Hair. He basically acted for about 40 years. Uh, super good-looking guy and probably one of the nicest men in the business. All right, time to get into what Toronto's talking about with News Talk 1010's John Moore. Good morning, John. We missed you yesterday. Good to have you back today. Thank you. Great to be back. Happy yeah, Tuesday. Hope the trip to Montreal was good. Uh, okay, let's start with this, John. The review of Par Paul Bernardo's transfer to a medium security prison, that is now underway. Correction Service Canada announcing a three-person committee has started work to evaluate why Paul Bernardo was transferred to a medium security prison in Quebec and whether or not it was the right thing to do. This has turned into a political football and even the opposition bringing motions to insist that the government repatriate Paul Bernardo back to a maximum security prison. But it's, it's also, I think, going to be about the whole process by which a prisoner is handled. And if that prisoner is never going to be let out, then why are they being put into the pipe in order to try to rehabilitate them and get them to a point where they might be let out? Yeah, it's, it's such a talker. And I mean, really, this has mm -hmm. just outraged so many people, John. So, of course, we'll see where this one goes. Uh, in the meantime, I know you were the victim of an attack uh, on the TTC just a couple of months ago here. But major crime on Toronto public transit, new numbers out showing they're up by double digit figures since the beginning of this year. What's absolutely fascinating, I've gone through about six different reports at six different uh, news organizations where they're interpreting these figures, mm. and a lot of people are saying, no, crime is down. Well, okay, um, reports of alleged incidents on the TTC were significantly down May as compared to January. However, violent crime, which is uh, including the TTC and GO Transit, was up by 24%. Actually, I should say major crime. I think we have to be careful about our terms yes. here. Cust Customer satisfaction is down, not surprisingly. But uh, we're going to be talking with John Burnside, who chairs the uh, TTC Commission today, because these figures don't make a great deal of sense to an awful lot of people who mm -hmm. just don't feel safe on the TTC. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a serious problem. Okay, all turning to provincial politics. A front runner has emerged in the Liberal leadership race, and like Olivia Chow, this person has that name cred. Yeah, I'll give credit to the Toronto Star here because this is a poll that is exclusive to them. Not surprising that a poll would find Bonnie Crombie is the front runner. What they did here is they ask you what, uh, you know, they find out how many people have a favorable, favorable impression of a candidate and how many people have a negative impression, and then they create an index. Bonnie Crombie at 26, uh, Nathan Erskine-Smith at 10, Yasser Nakvi at 15%, and Ted Shu uh, is at 10%. I'm not absolutely convinced 
convinced that this poll is all that informative on the eve of Bonnie Crombie making it official, mm -hmm. because I would ask anybody, okay, who's another candidate that you could name off the top of your head? Most people couldn't do it. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's so true, John. Exactly right. And yeah, the special announcement from uh, Bonnie Crombie yes. coming tomorrow afternoon. Mm -hmm. The mind boggles. We'll have to wonder and wait and find out what that just may be. What could it mm -hmm. be? Mm -hmm. uh, okay, <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, a Toronto Council, by the way, seeking a bylaw restricting anti-abortion imagery. Uh, this was an initiative at the provincial level, but now it's coming to city council tomorrow, and Diane Sachs is putting out a motion seconded by Paula Fletcher, uh, which affects those pamphlets and postcards that you may get through your door that have very, very graphic anti-abortion imagery. Uh, this is going to be an interesting fight, probably go to the Supreme Court, but she says she's not restricting your ability to circulate this information, just how you do it. So mm. anybody putting this through your letterbox would have to put a return address on it, and it would have to come in an envelope that is sealed, and on the outside of the envelope, it would have to say graphic content. Mm. So it's going to be an interesting mm. rights battle. Okay, yeah, we'll see where that one goes. And turning south of the border now, uh, former U.S. President Donald Trump. Wow, he'll face a judge in a historic court appearance. This, of course, over some classified documents, uh, some of which are found kind of scattered throughout bathrooms. This is the first time ever that a, a president, past or present, has been indicted on federal charges. Donald Trump is already facing state charges. But yeah, we probably won't see Donald Trump today. He's under Secret Service protection as an ex-president, so he'll probably go in through a garage. He will be fingerprinted. There may be a mugshot, which will not be publicly released. And the big question is, how many people turn out to protest this in Miami, and what kind of mood are they in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he continues to be in the headlines, even though he is no longer president. I uh, didn't think we'd still be talking about him, but of course we are. All right, News Talk 1010's John Moore. Always great to chat. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, John. Jennifer Shung and Nick Dixon at CP24. And I won't even bother to ask Joe Cristiano what kind of texts we're getting after we talk about Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump has his extraordinarily passionate supporters. It's kind of like Maxime Bernier is one of these figures who barely places, I think he got, what, 4.55% uh, of the popular vote in the last election. But much like the famous beer, those who like him like him a lot. And Donald Trump has about 30% of the American electorate who regard him as a messiah. Literally, it's a cult now. And then people say, why do you talk about him? Because he's running for president, because he's the first president to be indicted on federal charges, because it's more than relevant. And, you know, so that's why we're going to talk about it. Not forever, not in the greatest of detail, but today is an historic day in the life of the United States. And, you know, in the shadow of the passing of uh, Berlusconi of Italy, there's a certain type of leader Orban's another one of them, who's very popular these days. As a matter of fact, I'm going to sample from an article, uh, not today, because we got a lot of other stuff to deal with, but my cousin Chris Ann, who's a regular listener and a resident in North Carolina, sent me an article about the sitting lieutenant governor who is running for governor. And if you think Trump is extreme, this guy thinks all women should stay at home. Uh, it's insane. And, if, and, and for anybody who says, yeah, well, he's a fringe candidate. No, he's the sitting lieutenant governor of the state. So I was mentioning Treat Williams. And my first exposure to Treat Williams was in kind of an artisanal little film. I was appearing in a play 
in Montreal many years ago called The Ritz by Terence McNally. And The Ritz had been made into a movie. So I thought, okay, I'll watch the movie. And Treat Williams was in it. And it was made, I think, in the early 1970s. And he was just this extraordinarily charming, fascinatingly good-looking guy and just a tremendous actor, a tremendous presence. And Treat Williams, on his Twitter feed yesterday, was posting pictures of his farm in Vermont and how he was out mowing the lawn on a ride-around mower and how he loved the smell of grass. And it was this beautiful bucolic portrait of a guy living the good life in Vermont. But at 5 p.m., he was on his motorcycle and a Honda SUV was turning left into a parking lot when it collided with Williams' motorcycle. This happened in the town of Dorset, if you know your geography, in Vermont. And Williams was unable to avoid a collision, thrown from his motorcycle, suffered critical injuries, airlifted to Albany Medical Center, where he was pronounced dead. And we don't know all of the circumstances, because uh, apparently the car was signaling a turn. But that doesn't mean that it was clear to turn, and it may have turned in front of Treat, or it may have sideswiped him. We don't know. But Treat Williams... There are always, and you can make a short list, it's kind of a parlor game. Uh, there are always these actors who you know from show to show to show. Uh, and you usually totally enjoy their work, but you couldn't name them. If somebody showed you a photograph, you'd say, yeah, that's the guy from Suits. But you wouldn't be able to name them. And Treat Williams kind of fell into that category. But I think the additional takeaway from Treat Williams and why people are taking this so hard he was just the nicest man, and actor after actor after actor. You know, Wendell Pierce said, I only made one movie, and we became best buds for the rest of our lives. So what a tragic loss. He was uh, 71 years old. Something we're going to talk about in the next half hour, because uh, we got to take a break, and we're getting ready for the 6 a.m. news. Um, who is Edward Gong? Edward Gong is this candidate. His signs are everywhere. Stickers are everywhere. He's becoming a meme, and nobody knows who he is. But Ben Spurs has been doing some digging. I know our friend John Woodward has also been doing some digging because the effort is to try to establish whether he's the same Edward Gong who has a bit of an allegedly dodgy past. That is The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.